I'm trying to focus on the important topics. You know, the important topics for humanity is not necessarily about business. It's really about the larger story. You know, what do we want to be? Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with today's universe of information and the author of the forthcoming book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, you will learn from the world's best at how to transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. Go to thrivingonoverload.com to access all podcast episodes, insights from the book, and a wealth of other resources. On this episode, we learn from leading futurist Gerd Leonard. Gerd is a futurist and a humanist, a leading global keynote speaker, both live on stage as well as virtually and remotely. The author of five books, including Technology and Humanity, the CEO of the Futures Agency, and was named in Wide UK's Most Influential People in Europe, among many other accolades. You can find more on Gerd's work at futuristgerd.com, that's G-E-R-D, on Twitter at G-Leonard, G-L-E-O-N-H-A-R-D. You can find a full list of links to his many social channels on our show notes, or you can just search for Gerd Leonard, especially on YouTube, where he has a fantastic set of videos. In this episode, you will learn about understanding between the lines, Gerd's favorite apps and tools, sharing bookmarks and tags, keynote storylines, using visual catalogs, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Gerd's great insights. Fantastic to have you on the show, Good. Thanks for having me. So you've been a futurist for how many years? Almost 20 now. I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) So in that role of futurist, you have to keep across an extraordinary amount of change. All these news items that's going on and you're scanning that, making sense of it, helping people to understand what's going on in the world. So what's the most important thing? How, How on earth do you do it? Well, you know, you have to practice over time to uh, deal with a huge amount of information and, and, and understanding. I think the most important thing I've realized over the years, it's not so important just to understand in terms of uh, logic and read reports and spreadsheets, you know, that sort of thing. But it's important to understand between the lines. So that requires a wide reading, you know. It's basically 90% of what I do is reading and research and, and, and talking to people about stuff. And it, it's just kind of become kind of a lifestyle, you know. And something we have to watch out for, I think, as professional, as futurists who do a lot of different topics uh, is overload and, you know, what I call uh, digital uh, obesity <laughs> is to get fat with information. Indeed. So basically I have a certain diet of, you know, I read three or four books a month uh, on the Kindle. Uh, I have thousands of feeds. I monitor different topics. Uh, I talk to a lot of people. I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube, of course. You really have to practice not getting overloaded or being bogged down. Part of that includes what I call offline luxury. You know, offline is the new luxury because you go off into nature, you know, things can settle down a little bit more. But I, I think it's something you practice. It's not something that is easy to achieve when you're first getting started, it feels overwhelming, of course, right? Yeah, well, there's, a, there's plenty out there to overwhelm us. So, so do you have a daily or a weekly schedule? I mean, are there things which you do at particular times of day and checking your feeds or you know, having time for reading books? Or Yes, well, you know, I have to admit, I, do, I probably do most of my reading when I'm traveling because the traveling is conducive to not, you know, sitting down with your designing keynote slides or, or writing something precise, but to just kind of browse, right? So most of my work on reading is done uh, on the mobile. 
and on the iPad, I have I use a, a bunch of tools, amazing tools that are out there now, including, of course, Instapaper, which is my favorite app, Instapaper, saving stuff to offline. So I do that. I have at least 300,000 articles on there. I use GetPocket, which is also an offline saver. And of course, the Kindle for reading, for underlining and all this kind of things. I use a lot of different tools for that to be able to read when I'm waiting for the taxi or, you know, sitting at the lounge, of course. That's when I do most of my reading. My, my routine during the week is usually about 50% research and then 50% production for my keynotes and speeches and preparation. So it's very much driven by the assignments I'm, I get. You know, for example, now I'm working on a, a, a major talk about the uh, metaverse. And I've been doing a lot of talking about the metaverse. So I'm, I have a gig coming up in Greece for, for a very big gaming community. Uh, so I'm preparing for, you know, being able to work on new topics. And just like you, you know, working on new topics is basically, it's mandatory because, you know, this is how you keep interested. And this is also how you, you feed your own information and your, your own thinking, right? Absolutely. So, you know, people are not interested in what was happening yesterday. They want to know what's happening today and tomorrow. It's always a mix. You know, I think it's it's kind of like uh, I've been quite good in the past few years to always be a little bit early, sometimes way too early. You know, I started an Internet company in the late 90s. I was kind of doing what Spotify is now. Uh, and that was, of course, way too early, and I lost lots of money doing that. So, so now I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out what's happened, what's going to happen in the next five years. What are the interesting topics? So, I'm looking at things like the metaverse. I'm looking at things like, of course, uh, cryptocurrencies and all that kind of stuff. But also, I'm looking at large, and that's been a big shift in my work away from the business-only topics to the social political, cultural topics, you know, about society, basically, right? Because those are becoming burning issues now. Absolutely. So, so in terms of your feeds, so is that a key part of your scanning? So how, how do you build your thousands of feeds and uh, how, how do you use those? Yeah, I mean, I, su I subscribe to uh, my favorite publications like The Guardian, The Economist, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The FT, <laughs> you know, like most people do. And I read them pretty religiously. And whenever I can, I read a paper, which is not very often because you know, paper has gone out of style, uh, especially now on airplanes or lounges, no more papers. Uh, they probably won't be coming back. I like. I used to like that browsing effect for breakfast. You know, uh, you know, I'm 60 years old, so I like paper. But anyway, so I have digital subscriptions, and I, I bookmark all of that stuff. And, and I, I have at least I have a. Uh, I use Pinboard for saving my stuff also, and then I use Apple Notes, of course, which is amazing now. Great updates on on that one. Um, so I have a directory of about 350,000 notes. So if I'm looking to say something about, uh, you know, the, f the future of oil, I can always browse what I have already read. And it's, it's funny, you know, I've been publishing a, a part of my findings, uh, kind of memes and ideas on this thing called GERDFEED, which is a joke, but it's G-E-R-D-F-E-E-D.com. And everything that I highlight on this paper shows up on GERDFEED. Oh, great. So there's something like, I don't know, 200,000. And everybody can see what I've been looking at, which is been very helpful for my own research because because on good feed I can just go and look right and that's been uh, that's been really good I think the main thing is about getting organized so you remember stuff you create a sort of mental uh, help scenarios so you can actually recover stuff again 
because there's just so much happening. So do you tag any of the articles or notes or draw links between them? Or do you just use search, text search? Well, to find the sources, you know, of course, I've been doing it for a long time. So I read the obvious sources like Wired Magazine and, and The New Yorker and The Atlantic. And, and you know, most of, 95% is in English because... My work, even though I'm German, it's it's all in English. I don't I don't I don't read much German stuff. I have to admit, but uh, so I tag all of those things, and I have feeds coming in, and I use, of course, the sources like Bloomberg, and and uh, I subscribe to like a dozen great newsletters like Azim Azar, Exponential View, uh, and I have my own newsletter, and so there's a lot of information going around, and then I follow at least a hundred people, including yourself, you know, who are always posting interesting stuff on Twitter. And that is a great source. This is why I love Twitter. You know, if, if I want to look for, you know, future of, uh, of uh, distributed organizations, I, I can definitely find good stuff on Twitter. And I have all of that pretty well organized and, and lists and all that kind of stuff. So that's been a, a godsend, really. So a lot, of, a lot of this, is, of course, is about sense making, you know, the synthesis, pulling it all together into, a, you know, an original or interesting view. So you know, is there any particular way that you digest or pull together the links or make sense or create frameworks? What's, uh, you know, what's your process? Well, I kind of look at this like cooking, you know, when, when you cook something really interesting, it's not that you need 50 ingredients at the most time that you don't, right? It's just making sense out of the ones that you have. Uh, or leaving out stuff and not make it too complicated. And this is how I look at my keynotes. I want to cook the perfect meal. I don't want to cook, you know, 17 courses of, you know, 50,000 calories. That's kind of how I look at it. And most of it is really sort of a uh, creative process where some stuff comes up and other stuff doesn't. It's kind of like, you know, when I was a musician, it's a little bit like, you know, not everything that you know that you've done can pop up in one solo that you do on a, on a song, you know. It's, it just comes out like a blender, like, like a cocktail blender, you know, throw it all in there and, and, the, and out comes the drink. And just to make the drink, you know, imagine if you have a drink with 50 different things in it, you know, it's just not going to work, right? So... That's how I look at it, and it's really a creative process of leaving out stuff. And usually when I prepare for a keynote, for example, I may have 150 slides uh, that I've looked at, and then it's about whittling it down, making sense, and creating a storyline, you know. But that's always changing. I mean, it's like when you write a book, it's a little bit like this, and this is why book writing is so painful, you know, because you're trying to constantly improve and make more sense, and then you're always changing things, and you never get finished. And so this is something to be aware of, you know, that eventually you have to be finished. <laughs> so, so I mean, you, you mentioned before a couple of uh, interesting phrases, and I think that's something which, uh, you know, helps people understand is coming up with these intriguing phrases that distill ideas. So has that just mm -hmm. come up with you as you're wandering along the street, or do you have a process to be able to come up with these interesting, you know, provocative phrases? Well, you know, when I, when I read stuff and I work on things, I, I usually come across a phrase, you know, from others, usually, that I kind of like, and then I just turn that around into my own. Basically, it's the bottom lines that I know when I'm on stage, for example, speaking, and I deliver certain bottom lines, I can see that people react to this, right? For example, one of my memes that I use a lot is that I say, you will, you will not find happiness in the, on the screen or in the cloud. I, I took this from Alvin Toffler in some other way that he said it, right? Uh, like Peter Drucker once said, a strategy eats uh, culture, eats strategy for breakfast. And now I say culture eats technology for breakfast. 
Um, so I, I, I turn those things around into something that fits me, and I've got hundreds of them, and I wish I could remember all of them. But <laughs> so I always come up with new ones, you know, that are basically bottom lines. You know, people for most people that if you speak to people about the future, you can be happy in the end if they remember two or three kind of penny drop moments. And, and that is what you have to deliver in those kind of short statements, you know. Yeah, so the dis the distillation into something which, uh, you know, which which resonates. Well, as you know, of course, as a futurist, sometimes we have to simplify because you know how do you how do you explain artificial intelligence to an audience of, is, let's say, newspaper publishers? You know? or, or I mean, uh, some of them are getting more used to it now. But but you know, we're not. I'm not a scientist, so I, I don't need to explain that in all in depth. It would take me three days to do that. You know, so I have very sort of short descriptions for all that stuff, like crypto and metaverse, and uh, you know that I I try to boil it down to something that is manageable, and that I think. It's a skill you need to practice. It's just like cooking again, right? It's something you practice, and then in the end, it tastes awful or it's great. You don't know. So in that in that process, I mean, I, one of the key things I, I say to people is you need to know what your purpose is. What 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 information is useful and relevant to you? And that as a futurist, that's not very helpful because everything is uh, relevant and interesting, and because uh, it all ties into the big picture. So part of it, of course, is driven by you know, as you say, if you have any client engagements, uh, the, that defines what it is you're seeking. But you know, w when you're sort of scanning, do you have any guiding reference point around what it is that? does intrigue you, which you do want to dig into more? Well, that depends, of course, very much on the emphasis topics. You know, for me, it's like over the years, it's moved more from business and technology towards culture and humanity and that humanity future topic. That's my key topic, you know, technology, humanity. And now I have a new topic I started last year when I made the film called The Good Future. And you can find this at goodfuturefilm.com, the, the goodfuturefilm.com. Um, and the good future topic is basically a topic saying, okay, uh, what does a good future look like and how could we agree on what that is, good, which we actually do for the most part, uh, and how would we get there? So because of that topic and the technology immensity topic, I have a filter mostly for those things, you know. So I'm interested to find out how does technology increase happiness or not? Uh, how can we solve uh, global problems? Uh, like uh, inequality or, you know, uh, education, healthcare, and so on, by working together for, for that good future. And so it's really the larger topics that I'm interested in. I'm not that interested in figuring out how to use robotic process automation to make more money. You know, I mean, I lots of people can tell you about that, right? So I, I look at more, uh, I'm trying to focus on the important topics. You know, the important topics for humans, humanity is not necessarily about business. Uh, there are a lot of those, and I always touch on those, but it's really about the larger story, you know, what do we want to be? That's why I speak about transhumanism and singularity, one of my favorite topics as to why I think that's crap. But anyway, <laughs> anyway so, so that's one of those things where I, you know, I, I focus on the things that are important to me and that make a difference. Uh, that's really what I seek to do. Yeah, well, that, I think uh, creating a, a good future is a, is a very good frame on... <laughs> how you make sense of the world. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about how to prosper in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com to access all episodes, show notes, and other useful resources. And if you're enjoying this episode, please subscribe and help others to find us by giving us a review. Now back to the show. So of course, as a 
you know, in your keynotes, you're, you're very visual in the slides which you use. But more generally, do you use any visual frameworks to try to either organize or make sense for yourself or to help communicate to others, you know, the essence of, uh, of ideas to organize or connect your thinking? Well, I've, I have a team that does that for me, and I, I kind of tell them what I want, and then, which sometimes is hard to understand. For example, we're working on this topic called the Nature Deficit Disorder. There's a book with that title, uh, which deals with the fact that we're, we're disconnected from nature now because so many times we're looking at screens and we're not getting out with COVID, we're staying at home. And so there's a deficit of connecting with nature, which is detrimental to health and, and well-being, you know, which of, I think in Sydney, you may have better cards for that to, to connect to nature because it's so easy. But, you know, so many people in cities are disconnected from nature. So when we have this kind of theme, then basically my team and me, I have an editor and I have a, a researcher, and then we get together and we think about how that could look like, the meme, as we call it, right? And my editor is producing all of the videos and uh, the designs, and sometimes we hire people to make a cartoon or, you know, but we have a huge library of an, at least a thousand items that express the things that I talk about. Uh, and that library is organized, of course, in a tagged way, so I can easily drag and drop. I have about, I don't know, 4,800 slides with different versions of, of themes you know, and background videos and all. It's, it's a huge library of things that we create or we license from, you know, iStock Photo. And, but generally, I, I don't use a lot of templates because they're just not good enough of what I want to say. You know? So are these metaphors or how, what are the ways in which you're, I suppose, the essence of the visual representation of the idea? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, basically, when uh, a lot of times when you look at other things that you see, like YouTube videos or tweets and stuff, that there's an idea in there that 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 sticks. For example, when uh, when I started talking about the metaverse, I was looking at all the discussions about what's happening there and why that's good or not, and I came up with the concept of the meta perverse, you know, which is basically saying that, you know, yeah, it's interesting, but it could be a perverse use of technology for humans because imagine you lived in virtual reality, you actually live there. This is what Zook wants us to do, right? To actually live there, right? That's perversion in my view, you know, perversion of technology and perversion of humanity because it leaves out all the good stuff that we like, right? And I always say, you know, one hug is worth more than a hundred Zoom calls, you know? So, that's where I came up with the motif. And then from there, we create artwork that, you know, re reflects the meta perverse, right? That's a, that's a lovely phrase. <laughs> I also have a Gerdaverse, you know, I have my own metaverse called the Gerdaverse. Um, oh. And that's, that's a joke, but basically it's like, it's the virtual Gerd and you can see the difference, you know, it's, it's just kind of like a, a Roblox version of the future, you know, which, which can't be good, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> so in terms of your attention and managing your attention, I mean, is this something that, uh, how do you, how do you, you either, uh, well, discipline might not, may or may not be the right word, or how do you structure your attention so that you both have, you know, the focus to require to dig into things, but also, as you said before, the, you know, the, the time to go out into nature and refresh yourself. You know, how do you? Well, how do you manage your attention? Well, I have a wife. You know, <laughs> she does that for me. <laughs> no, but uh, ba basically, uh, you. Uh, 
there's sort of a natural process as to how much you can take. Like, I, you know, there's a certain amount of work that you do that is about thinking. That's kind of maxing out at four or five, six hours a day, you know, for heavy lifting. <laughs> uh, and then you're like, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm like, my head is exploding. And then you can do other things like snip stuff from images or look for interesting videos or, you know, do emails or, you know, basically the focus is really important to get stuff done to leave out other things, you know. So, for example, when I'm working on a mission and I, I have to deliver a speech tomorrow, then I do nothing else really. And, um, you know, that's, that's when the, it, of course you have to, it's like, you know, you have a gig tomorrow, you got to focus on exactly that, right? Um, and everything has to wait, everything else. So, and, you know, I have my team that does other things for me while I'm doing the stuff that I pay attention to. But, you know, getting organized and not multitasking, you know, that, that's a really hard um, temptation. Multitasking doesn't work for me, it works for some people, but for most it doesn't. Uh, it removes your attention and, and defrays the mind. So it's much better uh, to not attempt multitasking, like doing emails and, and PowerPoint and a phone call at the same time. You know, no. <laughs> you know, so that, that kind of also makes it simpler. I have a very big computer set up at home where I organize. I have three monitors, sometimes four, where I put stuff, and that's just kind of waiting there until I get to it, you know. I don't do a lot of to-do lists because I find it, it increases the pressure. So I, it's kind of a natural process of, of uh, you know, I realize the next step is this and this and this. I, I don't do a lot of over-organization or task lists or, you know, pin things or notifications. I switch off all the notifications, you know. That kind of stuff just really distracts people. So being distracted and, and trying to multitask, you know, those are things I definitely don't think work for us. So, so do you carve out, when if you do have a deep dive focus to either develop an idea or work on something, you just sort of to carve out specific time for that? Yeah, I mean, I, I have certain times when I do that, usually in the early morning, you know, where I sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to sit down and figure this out, you know, and take an hour or two before I do anything else. And sometimes like this, and sometimes it just happens when I'm on the plane somewhere and I have like a brain fart. I mean, being on the airplane is very good for this because of the, the kind of solitude uh, that you have there and the... Uh, the hissing of the engine, you know, helps helps the mind. At least it does with mine. Um, and so I do a lot of work like that on the airplane, just just pen and paper, saying, "Okay, now I'm going to figure out what exactly I'm trying to say here." Yeah? Uh, interestingly, Amy Webb says she likes brown noise as a background for her uh, focus times. Yeah, everybody everybody thinks differently. You know, I I think that. I think very much in pictures and because I'm, I'm a musician also in sound, so videos and, and that sort of thing is very important. I'm going to use more uh, music in my my work. It's always a problem to use music because of the damn copyright bullshit uh, that you're encountering on gigs and on YouTube, which is such a pain in the butt. It's like uh, you can license as much as you want, but you're always going to get a notice that you haven't licensed something. You know? It's like, <laughs> it's just... It's incredible, the, the regime that has taken over there that, you know, I have people sending me messages saying that I used a picture that was through an RSS feed, you know, from some magazine that I should have paid $200 for to display. I'm like, come on. Yeah. So there's a lot of that sort of thing uh, going on where, you know, it's uh, using those resources, you have to be um, quite diligent. 
and which I've done over the years. So, yeah. But because I'm a musician, I like videos, I like images, I I like I like music, I like audio. So I use audio examples in my speeches, and I download at least you know I don't know thirty forty videos per day to keep them around for later. Right. And so, so in terms of all this content you've got, I mean, we, we talked before about the tagging or you know other things. So, as you know, do you have any organizational systems? Just the internal search or or tags or transcriptions or other things which help you, you know, sort through the the massive amount of content you have. It gets more complicated when you have more materials, right? But I use a lot of hashtags now. So I use Google, I use Apple Notes, for example, I put a hashtag, you know, uh, end of oil or so, and then I look for the hashtag and all the stuff I've found comes up there. And and I do other things like, you know, when you when you browse for files, sometimes you don't know what the file was called or, or the hashtag, right? You just remember the picture, right? So I, I use Google Photos to upload all of my stuff. I've got, I don't know, 200,000 things there. That has been pretty good when I... You know, I'm looking for something and I just kind of go through the photo wall, you know, and I say, ah, that's what I was looking for, right? So sometimes it's visual, sometimes it's text, but imagine if you're looking for an interesting theme, for example, on uh, globalization, right? And then you found something really interesting like six months ago, but you didn't tag it as globalization, but as politics or something, right? And and so how do you find that, you know? And that's why the visual stuff is good. So using a visual catalog, I have a pin wall that I use here at home, a huge monitor with all my latest stuff that sits there. So I can always remember that I have new things that I need to use. And uh, But, you know, in the end, it's your brain. If your brain isn't firing, then you won't find anything. So, <laughs> so you know, this is really important to maintain good health, you know, so that you can find stuff. So that's another one of those regimes that's really important. Like, you know, I, I use a cross trainer and I take certain supplements, uh, not like Ray Kurzweil by any means, but, you know, but then again, I don't want to live forever. So I'll leave that to him. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a lot of interesting software tools. Is there anything else in, uh, in terms of software tools for thriving on overload that uh, you think are worth uh, mentioning? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of really amazing stuff out there. For example, just using Gmail Professional, the business solution from Gmail, you know, has saved the day because there's a snooze button, right? I love the snooze button where I can say, okay, you know, I get an average of 800 mails per day, and many of them are urgent and other ones are not. And, and then basically, if they're not so urgent, I snooze them, you know, and pop up on Saturday or, you know, that's that's been a lifesaver. And I have a flagging system I use on, on the mail to where different flags mean different things with different tags. So when I look at the at the wall of, of mails, I can always see the tags, you know, and the topics and the people. And um, so that's been really good. And notification systems I only have on... Uh, I use a second email app called hey.com, which is absolutely amazing, H-E-Y. That's a new service from, from the Bay Area. And what they do is they allow you to notify individual messages. So if I have a really, really high priority customer that is going crazy with prep time for the gig, you know, I, I, I see their mail pop up on my iPhone, you know, every time they mail. But it's only them, not everybody else, right? So, and of course, we use Slack for, for changing information. Uh, everything that we do is in the cloud, in three clouds actually, P Cloud here in Switzerland, and Dropbox and Google Drive. And so, if I want to search for things, I can also search on the cloud. And sometimes I'm better off finding stuff there 
right? Because it's it's tagged differently or the logic is different. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of tech involved, you know, using uh, like an iPad, an iPhone, uh, three computers. And after a while you get used to it. And then, you know, I, I, I buy the most powerful MacBooks I can find because I find when I work on stuff, I don't want the computer to churn and look for stuff. So, you know. When you have 200 tabs open. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want the computer to churn. So the new uh, MacBook M with the M1, you know, the 16 inches, just amazing. And it's the first computer that can kind of keep up with my own mental speed in terms of how quickly I want to find things. <laughs> so quite happy about that. Yes, yes, yes. You would, you would want the computers to keep pace. Sometimes yeah, they crash with a lot of stuff. The quality of technology that you use is is uh, is really is a survival tool, you know. Especially when you're in a hurry or you're under a deadline or so, you have to have great tools to find things and and to retrieve and to use. I mean, just using image. I mean, we've got like I don't know, 14 terabytes of stuff, right? So there's just no way that you can do all that work with a computer that just doesn't index, you know. So important. Absolutely. So rounding out, I mean, is there, what, what would be your advice to someone who is saying, oh, this is a bit too much. How, did, how can I get on top of this and to you know, create value from all of the information that's out there? What, what are some of your recommendations? Yeah, you know, not everything can be equally important, right? So you have to prioritize, uh, prioritize your topics, prioritize your sources, and be ruthless in kicking out useless stuff. Um, like Google Alerts, <laughs> you know, if you're getting a Google Alert with 47 things, you know, not good. Pick the good stuff, the good newsletters, the good publications, the good writers. Make lists of those. Don't spend too much time looking at things that didn't happen. And for real hardcore information and learning, I think it's it's still all about books, uh, not not physical books. I, I I do that too, but. Physical books are just it's so impractical when you're constantly doing something else, right? So digital books, I have a queue of about 700 books, and I read, try to read four, five, six, sometimes 10 a month, and bookmark all of that stuff, right? So basically, it's about bookmarking, it's about organizing, prioritization, uh, it's about uh, focus on what actually needs to be accomplished now. Right? And then it's really also about digestion time, your contemplation time. So try to take a walk every day for an hour, you know, so you can literally, while you're walking, you're, you're sort of digesting, right? Uh, and um, that's really important to clean up. You can't go 14 hours a day by looking at high quality information. You know? So, you know, recognizing your limitations. And, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's... yeah, so that's, that's, it's kind of obvious stuff, but in the end, I think one thing that really sets back people is to be afraid of forgetting things or be afraid of not knowing things. And, you know, yes, we forget things and sometimes we don't know things and it's just, this is just the way it is, you know. And, and so we shouldn't be anxious about like, you know, I have to remember all of that stuff or I, I have to know everything. Nobody knows everything except for maybe Einstein. But, um, you know, it's like, okay, that's just the way it is. Sometimes you, you just have to say, well, I don't know. I, I don't I have no idea what that is or, you know. So removing the anxious part, I think a lot of people are under a lot of pressure to know everything, understand everything, especially in our business, and you just can't, you know. I mean, I, if you do it for 20 years, of course, you have advantages. Yes, so. definitely. It's a cumulative 
Yeah, when you're starting out, you just, you know, it's, it's basically, it's like money in the bank, it's a compound rate, right? So it doesn't make much of a difference how much time you spend, you know, in two years, but in 10 years, the curve goes up, and in 20 years, you're all the way up there. Um, and this is why people who've been doing futurism for some time, you know, they usually have all that background knowledge, which is hard to get when you're, when you're 25, you know, if you've been doing this for five years, say. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. So, so good. How, what, what are the, of the many, many resources you have out there, what's the best places for people to find you? Yes, well, I think of my website, futuristgerd.com, futuristgerd.com, like gastrointestinal reflux disease, same thing, but shortened. So futuristgerd.com, um, thegoodfuturefilm.com, that would be something you, wanna, you want to look at. Uh, and of course, my YouTube channel, which is going crazy right now, because we're doing this new show. Uh, GERTube, that's a joke, it really just points to YouTube, but GERTube.com. If you want to read what I read, it's GERTFeed.com. That's where you can find all of the stuff, basically in real time, as I'm reading it, it's published to, the, it's a Tumblr page, but it's huge. Right? And my new show, GERT Talks, which is about timely topics every two weeks. Tonight we have another one on uh, why Facebook should die. You know, it's a short topic. A few, th few things to say about that. Certainly of the moment. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and your insights, Gerd. Uh, that's been really, uh, really fantastic conversation. Great. Thank you. And live long and prosper. Thank you for listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. Visit thrivingonoverload.com for all episodes, show notes, and other useful resources. And if you want to keep learning each week from our amazing guests, please subscribe on your favorite app. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.